Well, good morning. Well, it's been a while. I've actually been working on something very personal. Um, bodhicitta. Uh, again, along the same lines that we've been discussing, definitions. Bodhicitta is a practice separate from a definition, separate from... It's complicated, right? I personally feel that bodhicitta has been getting in the way of my own practice, right? Compassion, we see it um, if it's applied um, imbalanced, right? We can see people being torn apart by things like um, social and political strife or um, environmental issues. Torn apart rather than looking to find uh, either the way to balance or understand or that said <clears throat> today I thought I'd uh, just change the speed up a little bit and we might talk about a book that I just finished and um, actually a concept a pretty important concept in Buddhism and what am I talking about I'm talking about similar to before the koan or the kongan in Chinese this one's a wadu 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 is from the Korean, technically. Um, in the Chinese, we'd be looking at... Um, what did they call it here? Uh, Gong Fu. Yes, sorry. But different characters, right? The Gong Fu, uh, not like the martial way, but this way, um, I actually translated myself. Uh, I would say that a better translation might be... Um, Effort, skill, practice, work. I would say, just like Wu, a combination of both prana and um, emptiness, uh, you know, absorption. I would say that Wadu or Gong Fu in this case may have been a combination of Shraddha and Upaya. Right? Shraddha, faith and confidence in the prescription. In this case, we're talking about the practice of Wadu. But it's also uh, faith and confidence in everything you do. That's why I also include the word Upaya, efficient or skill in means or practice. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Um, it's a book called uh, Knocking Gently on the Door of Chan on the Practice of Wadu. Uh, this is by Chan Master Wolru. Uh, uh, so this practice is similar to koans, but it's much shorter. Arguably, when I was reading about the koans, we didn't get into this, but uh, the one koan, what was your original face before your parents gave birth to you? That would be considered maybe a wadu, right? Because it's a very short, right? Or uh, since we have the nyenfo or the nimbutsu or the mantra practice, right? Uh, Amitofo, Amitabha, Didafat. Um, Amitabha, Amiteus, uh, very commonly used, then the Wadu in that case would be, who is this that's reciting the Buddha's name? Right? So let me just read uh, the definition of Wadu. It's Korean and Japanese, it's Wato. Uh, it's um, part of a form of Buddhist meditation known in Chinese as Gong Fu. Again, it mentions not to confuse with the, the martial arts. Again, two totally different characters used for both, two characters for Gong Fu and two characters for Gong Fu, martial art versus Wei uh, Hua Du, 
common in the teachings of Chen, Korean Seon, and Rinzai Zen. Rinzai, again, this is the koan. They don't separate uh, between the short form and the longer form of a koan. Again, to differentiate and label is a little silly. Again, the goal is the same. It's identical in all of the practices. Uh, and I'll get to that. Wadu can be translated, as they say, word head, head of speech, or point beyond which speech exhausts itself. A wadu can be a short phrase that is used as a subject of meditation to focus the mind. So, as I said, I wouldn't translate a wadu as word head or head of speech or point beyond which speech exhausts itself. I would actually say that was the meaning or the message behind the character uh, for Gong Fu or Wadu. Wadu itself is, as I said, is effort, skill, practice, work, shraddha or upaya, skillful means and confidence. Why do I say that? Because I'll quote Chan Master Shen Ying, Shen Yen, my apologies. He says, there are three stages of Wadu practice. Reciting the Wadu, asking the Wadu, and investigating the Wadu. He says, through these stages, it is important not to try to answer the Wadu intellectually. Right? Your conditional mind. Don't. Don't involve it. The idea is to tie it up so you can see beyond it. But he goes on and says, but it's to persistently ask mindfully with genuine interest. That's why I say... We have both Shraddha and Upaya. It's to ask the question mindfully with genuine interest and sincere desire to know. And you must have that confidence that just the investigation itself is your path to elimination, not the solution. There is no solution. If there is a solution to a koan or a wadu, then it is no longer a koan or a wadu. And he fin finally he goes on and he says, It is through this constant practice that great doubt and then insight arises. Now, what is he saying here? Again, this is translation. Um, so, when he says constant practice, we can translate that as this mindfulness or residing in this. doesn't matter what you're doing. In this case, it can be the wadu, it can be a nyanfo, um, it can be a mantra of your own choosing. It's constant practice, right? That upaya, efficient or skillful means, right? Constant brings about this great doubt. What is this great doubt of which he speaks? This is being able to see beyond our conditional mind or those three states, right? Your illusionary, illusory uh, reality. You must see beyond that by examining both emptiness, shunyata, and dependent origination, you can see the nature, the true nature of reality, and therefore no longer being subject to the illusory reality. But as I've said many times, once you get into that dependent um, origination state, where you understand that nothing is uh, made up of a, an individual self, right? Nothing is as we perceive it. It's empty of intrinsic um, origination, meaning it's not born of itself. It's just a bunch of aggregates that has been kind of lumped together. And for the most part, it's our perception and our application of labels that produce this differentiation, this duality that we all live through, right?
So this is why he says this constant practice, that this great doubt, this great doubt that allows us to go, wait a minute, we're not really seeing it for what it really is, this reality, this, this uh, truth. Um, and then that's the insight, right? So that great doubt produces that seed of insight. So again, we're talking about shamathas. You must remain calm, not allowing the ego or the mind to um, denature this process, but also to distract, right? To allow this great doubt, but again, calmness, because that great doubt can also produce panic and anxiety, right? As the ego tries to, uh, to, to chain us to this wheel of becoming, right? Birth and death, right? That insight is to be able to see through the nature of this reality. That's the goal of Upaya. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, Kangan or Weiduo um, or Gongfu. And that's where this goes, right? Gongfu is simply skill, effort, practice, a path, right? A way, um, an, a path of effort, a practice, a practice. So this is what's leading to me. It's just I'm going to quote a couple little passages from the book, as I said. The book is knocking gently on the door of Chan on the practice of Wadu by Chan Master Guaru. And on page 29, he talks about the practice. He says, the most distinctive feature of Patriarch Chan. Again, Patriarch Chan, um, in this case, we've got to remember that it's common that they'll have a mentor because the mentor will give them their Wadu or give them a Kongan or a Koan. And it's the mentor who is important in this, but it's twofold. Patriarch Chan is not only speaking of needing a guru or a mentor, but as I've mentioned before, I do believe in the tantric side of uh, archetype deity uh, veneration, but it's visualization or patriarch. So you pick, for me, Lord of Compassion. Right? I don't venerate the Lord, I venerate Compassion. Right? So in this case, the patriarch can be whatever you're focusing on. Again, as I said, it can be Amitabha, it can be Avilokitesra, it can be Kshinigarbha. It doesn't really matter. It's the embodiment, that sacrifice of the earth or Bodhisattva, Mahasattva. Right? Or the, the uh, unwavering compassion of Guanyin, Avilokitesra, Chenrezig. Right, the Lord of Compassion, right, or even in some sects they'll worship um, sheer, you know, um, like Fudomyo, the worship a martial way or just like Mara, right. You can use that as your focus, right. But he says that uh, the most distinctive feature of Patriarch Chan can be succinctly expressed. Pardon me with my lisp as a kid. All them S's and C's are quite difficult. But I'll start over and say that Patriarch Chan can be succinctly expressed. I say I'm going to start over and then I don't put my teeth together. That's the trick, by the way. If you have a lisp with S's, you've got to put your teeth together. So, uh, the most distinctive feature of Patriarch Chan can be succinctly expressed as directly pointing to the mind and seeing the true nature in order to become a Buddha. Okay, so again, this what? No, it's simple. 
directly pointing to the mind. Which mind? It's actually pointing to the proper mind, right? That the, the mind, as I've said, is our greatest tool, but also our greatest hindrance to liberation. And as Master Shinyan said, through this constant practice, great doubt ties up that ego-based mind, allowing us to see, pointing like that finger to the moon. It's not um, the path, but it allows us to see directly into the true nature of ourselves, pointing to that mind, seeing the true nature in order to become a Buddha, in order to become aware, right? That insight, that awareness, residing in that awareness is true liberation, that para-sam-gate, to be gone, 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 beyond to the other shore where you reside in this awareness, in this sati, in this mindfulness, where upaya themselves may be left behind because you no longer need efficient means because you are no longer subject to these delusions. And the practice goes on, says, in other words, the spirit of Patriarch Chan lies in its emphasis on seeing the true nature instead of meditative concentration or liberation. Again, seems a little odd, but no, the idea here is, as I've said many times, don't be thinking your practice is sitting on a cushion in a corner somewhere because then the rest of the day you're missing your opportunity. Again, in this, it's to concentrate on the wadu. To tie up that mind and see beyond and not be distracted by ideas of meditative concentration. Like, oh, I got to get it to a certain, you know, uh, samadhi or I need, you know, to forget all of that. Stop intellectualizing. Simply focus with shraddha, complete faith and confidence in this upaya or efficient or skillful means liberation, but don't think of the liberation. Again, no attainment and no non-attainment. Your goal is simply to be, and these practices, wadu, koan, mantra, uh, anapanasati, mindfulness of breath, or simply satipatthana, the actual practice of constant mindfulness, all of which are the same goal to tie up that ego-based mind to allow us to see beyond into our true nature, see clearly. And he says, it tells us how to see our true nature clearly. If we can penetrate into all that our nature is endowed with, then that moment of liberation, pardon me, I just jumped way too many pages, that moment of liberation also endowed, that moment of liberation is then also endowed with meditative concentration. So just like I said, instead of being focused on, oh, do I have the right concentration? Right? Is it attainment? Is it, uh, you know, how am I doing? Focus on the practice and nothing else because focusing on the practice and not the, the attainment or the results allows you to attain the results. It's really quite weird and backwards. But again, that is the point here, right? And he goes on and says, in no abiding, in the common gradual practices like shamatha and vipassana, or the four meditative levels in the form realm or the four in the formless realm, practitioners focus on a single object with contemplation or mindfulness, again, same thing, insight, right? To transform the lacks and distracted mind into a unified and relaxed state. So again, 
lot of words there just to simply use focus, calm, and insight, right? To calm that ego-based mind, to allow that awareness self to uh, show itself, reveal itself, right? And he says, at the same time, they are clearly aware of whatever happens in the process, including all the mental and physical changes and the connections between the mind and the object. Then by means of analysis of the object as emptiness, the perception of the object's nature as emptiness or the perspective of dependent arising, they perceive with wisdom and penetrate the unified body and mind without abiding in it and thus see the profundity of all phenomena. Uh, but, once again, the Wadu practice is just simply designed to tie up the mind so that we can continue to use emptiness shunyata, or I like to consider it the oneness doctrine, and dependent origination, which, again, just like Shamatha and Vipassana, um, dependent origination and shunyata, emptiness, are two sides of one coin, right? Uh, and I recently saw a Korean monk answer a question, what is shunyata? And he goes, uh, sorry, the questioner says, what, emptiness or nothingness? And, and the monk just says, bangs his cane and says, yes! And just goes completely silent until the questioner goes, something, I can't remember what he said. And he said, yeah, you get it. And the questioner, the monk says, you get it. And the questioner goes, no, I don't. And so the monk laughs. Oh, that is how it's done in the Zen tradition, the Chan tradition, the Seon tradition in Korea. But usually they're already talking to practitioners, right? Not lay people, right? See, this is where the confusion tends to fall. So unless you explain dependent origination and shunyata together, same as if you just tell people to use insight, vipassana, that how do you stay calm? Like, say, if it's something that really brings, say, too much bliss or too much anxiety, without teaching the entire prescription, you're actually going to harm the individual. Right? So I'll just go on. It says, as these methods help us practice step by step, we experience gradual progress and improvement in body and mind and have a sense of solidity. Patriarch Chan is different from this gradual process. It helps us arouse a sense of doubt and keep it in mind in the very beginning. Then, to constantly deepen the practice with the sense of doubt. With this method, we will also achieve a unified and relaxed state and know clearly any change or sensation in the body and mind, just as we do with gradual meditation methods. But we do not recognize these changes on purpose or pay attention to them. We are aware of their arising and let them go, devoting ourselves wholeheartedly to the questioning until we naturally connect it to meditative concentration and wisdom. Right? This state is the same as the unified and relaxed state which one reaches uh, with such messes as Samatha and Vipassana. In Wadu, we keep questioning until all the mental and physical sensations disappear. Right? So what does he mean by this? It's simple, right? The practice is no different, but just like Bodhidharma when he came back in to Asia and saw that the monks were spending too much time just sitting and not, um, or uh, there's some history saying that they spent too much time with rites and practices and ceremonies. We can still see that today. But what are we talking about here? We're saying, 
These methods are similar, if not identical, to uh, the Shamatha Vipassana practice. But the difference here is this um, sense of doubt that they keep talking about, right? So that's why your koan, your weidu, your gongan, your kongan, that's why these questions must remain unanswerable. It's to bring that same doubt that we should all have about this samsara. This world we don't perceive firsthand, yet we don't have that sense of doubt. That, that sense of doubt produces the wisdom and the insight. When we understand that nothing of what we perceive is wholly real. That's the beginning of that dependent origination stage. When you realize that what you perceive, what you think, what you feel, is not wholly the truth, that sense of doubt can bring about this insight, this understanding that awareness and eliminating the ego is the true path to liberation. In this case, it's just like what we were taught in the Heart Sutra. Right? Until we get to that point where there is no Dharma and there is no non Dharma, meaning it no longer exists. Just as he says, Abhilokiteswara uh, was coursing in the deep Pranaparamita. What that means is he was residing in the perfection of wisdom. And residing in the perfection of wisdom, no ills or suffering arose. Meaning there is no birth or death to either one. Right? So we're not trying to eliminate that conditional-based mind. We're not trying to uh, give birth to the aware mind. We're simply trying to create doubt, which minimizes the influence of that conditional or ego-based mind, allowing us to see beyond, calming that noise, allowing us to hear the truth, gaining that wisdom and insight. Again, so what is Wadu? Just a short statement, right? Um, my, one of my favorite was, uh, it's a really old one, very obscure, is a goose in a bottle. And the Wadu is, how do you get the goose out of the bottle? without killing the goose, right? A very, very thin neck bottle, right? There is no answer. But sadly, like in the Blue Cliff Records, it will give you interviews. And the interviews are reinforcing this idea that there is an answer. And one of the greatest examples is the Japanese. Um, they call it a koan, but I would argue it's probably more um, one of the more famous uh, wato. And let me see if I can find it here. All right, so most famous is the moon, right? It's uh, a monk asked Joshu, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Josu replied, Mu. It's, it's interesting because it's commonly shared as, a, you know, like a no or... But what you need to understand is I mentioned this before. Mu. 
Korean and Japanese is actually a translation of Wu. Right? Very important, but much, much, much more complicated than simply saying not or nothing. Because it was the translation of this shunyata, this emptiness. Right? So, again, the idea here is, does a dog have Buddha nature or not? Mu. Right? This is this negative. How do you prove that everything is empty of self? Usually you do it in a negative sort of way. It's not this. It's not that. Right? So again, here we are in this negation idea, but it's not not. It's no. Nothing. Right? Nothingness. Emptiness. Does a dog have Buddha nature? Point to me the dog. Right? What is the dog? Right? What makes you different from the dog? Right? It's this much more complicated idea that if you see the dog or not, if you see the dog as independent or not. It's a very complicated idea that has been boiled down to almost like an answer, right? It's negative as in, no, no, that's not what Mu means. It's the same as Wu in Chinese. The idea is, dumb question, I guess, arguably, right? But, so on that, I'll leave you with maybe the final. Uh... Awadu by Sunyun, recommended as a first practice given to him by his master of the Tiantai sect. Again, bringing them all together. I've already mentioned the use of Nyanfo and then who is repeating the Buddha's name. I've mentioned what's my original face before my father and mother were born. So the last one is who is dragging this corpse around? I love that one because, seriously, right? if there's no self that we can point to, right, then who is dragging this corpse around? Who is dragging this uh, collection of aggregates? Who's dragging this bag of bones, you know, sack of water, right? Because if we are not an independent self, but that's the idea, right? This is to awaken that sense of doubt. It's not for you to try to find an answer. It's for you to go, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, what makes me different from the next person and what makes me... I mean, it's a beautiful idea to get an idea or just an, an electrical charge or like this organic battery wandering around with some... some megalomaniacal uh, ideas of uh, omnipotence and uh, you know it's like I said it's an idea strictly to tie up that mind that great sense of doubt a doubt of everything and anything that allows you to see past into the true nature of as I said before reality but more importantly of yourself right those two selves the one that is deluding you and then the one that can help you liberate. So, <laughs> it reminds me of the quote from uh, Apocalypse Now. It says, um, every soldier, there are two. The one that kills and the one that loves. It's a beautiful quote. 
because the French were very, very, very much into, because um, there's even Zen in Vietnam. So prior to the American uh, conflict in Southeast Asia, uh, it was uh, Indochine and, um, well, even Cambodia, right? Uh, Cambodge. So the French were really quite enamored by Buddhism, even though not unlike the British, they never thought that, you know, it was as deep as it might be. But I love that. In the soldier, there are two. The one that kills and the one that loves. Right? This is Buddhism at its heart. Right? You are two people. The one who loves is incapable of killing. And the one that kills must be incapable of love. Because the two cannot reside together. <laughs>